Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, week two is upon us here. Packers-Vikings coming up on Sunday, the home opener for the Green Bay Packers, Sunday at Lambeau Field. But we can look back for a few minutes first at the Packers' week one victory last Thursday night in Chicago over the Bears. And one aspect that we didn't really touch on on our Friday show before we broke for the weekend was the involvement of the tight ends right away, game one, week one, in this Green Bay offense. Because you look at how this game unfolded. Jimmy Graham had a touchdown catch, already half of his total of touchdown catches from a year ago. Mercedes Lewis had two receptions. (laughs) when he had three receptions all of last year, his first year in Green Bay. And Robert Tanyan had a big catch on a scoring drive in the fourth quarter when he didn't catch a pass last year until Seattle in November, whatever week of the season that was. So Matt LaFleur is getting his tight ends. He's only got three healthy ones right now, but he's getting his tight ends involved early and often here in 2019. Yeah, and it's funny listening to Mercedes Lewis talk in the locker room on Friday a little bit about this. I mean, when he got brought in, I think Brian Gutekunst and the Packers wanted him, but they really weren't sure how they were going to go about using him. <laughs> so in some ways, he became almost a glorified sixth offensive lineman. It's yeah. almost the way it worked out. He only played 170 snaps. As you mentioned, he only had three catches. He did talk about when he came back this year, he had a conversation with Brian Gutekunst about what the direction was going to be. This was right after you know they'd hired Matt LaFleur, what this whole thing's going to look like. And what it came down to is that things are going to be different. And I thought this game in particular really showed what the Packers envisioned for this tight end position in this game. Now, it's not like anybody had a 100-yard game or anything like that, but when you put together Jimmy Graham's 30 catches for 30 yards and a touchdown, Tanyan's 28-yard catch, Mercedes Lewis being involved more in the passing game, all told six catches for 72 yards and a touchdown in a game in which the Packers didn't throw for 400 yards. I mean, that was almost half of their entire production, a little less than in terms of the passing yardage. So this, I thought, was a really good indicator of where this offense wants to go. 35 snaps, 34 snaps, and 20 snaps for Graham, Lewis, and Tanyan, respectively. Again, it's week one. A lot lot of football would be played out, but from Mercedes Lewis' perspective, the Packers living up to their end of the bargain with the way that they're moving these pieces around. Yeah, and Mercedes Lewis almost getting a third reception in that game, that back shoulder throw along the sideline from Rodgers. Really, I mean, tough catch. Close one, almost had it, but you almost you get the feeling that if Aaron Rodgers is throwing a back shoulder throw <laughs> in week one to Mercedes Lewis, that he's not going to miss it again. You know, they, they right. didn't quite connect on that one, but that might be something we see down the road. Well, and, and Rodgers has been really effusive in his praise of both Graham and Lewis through the highs and the lows of this offense. And, and he even said, I mean, yes, he did have his comment last month during training camp about how Lewis came back in phenomenal shape. He ended up losing about 10 pounds. Uh, you know, he's a huge leader in this locker room. It was important for the Packers to get him back. But even if you go back to the end of last season, he was saying the exact same thing about Graham and Lewis and his belief of what those two guys could do if they could get the offense sort of reconfigured and in, in trying to determine the best roles for all of these guys. The thing that Lewis really likes about the way this is working out is you don't necessarily have to run one tight end into the ground. You don't have to play him. 60 snaps a game sure you can be balanced there can be times where you know jimmy graham's the solo guy there can be times when lewis and tanyan are in a two tight end package so 
And from Matt LaFleur's perspective, when he went to the podium at the end of last week, the whole idea of this has been what they've talked about all along, is that the more packages that you can throw at defenses, the more you give them to prepare for. You could very easily come out on one series with a two tight end look with Lewis and Tanya, and maybe even have Vitaly in the background as a fullback and really bring things in. Or you could come back out the next series and have Robert, or I should say, uh, Trevor Davis and you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling out there and, and really threaten the second level of the defense and third level of the defense. So that's where the Packers want to get this offense. It is a work in progress, Aaron, but I think when you listen to Aaron Rodgers' words, Matt LaFleur's words, and certainly these tight ends, there's optimism about what this uh, thing is going to look like when the Packers get it you know, the way they wanted to. Yeah, we certainly saw Jimmy Graham uh, throwing caution to the wind, you might say, with that <laughs> hurdle play on uh, on the one reception. And, and he's out there battling with the finger injury, but made a couple of catches, had the nice touchdown catch um, to, uh, to get the Packers on the board there in the first half in Chicago. Another part of this offensive effort, though, that we need to talk about, because obviously at this time last year, when we were talking about the Bears, we were talking about Khalil Mack and how he just completely wrecked the entire first half of week one at Lambeau Field. Mack had a couple of plays in this game. He's going to make his plays here and there. But we didn't come out of Soldier Field on Thursday night and get on that plane to come home um, talking about this great, huge impact that Khalil Mack had in this game. And and hats off really to the Packers' offensive tackles, Brian Balaga and David Bakhtiari. Mack lined up, you know, across almost anywhere throughout the game but the Packers held the big star in check and that was a big factor in uh, and I know it wasn't a great night on offense but as we talked about Packers didn't turn it over Aaron Rodgers did get sacked a few times but he held on to the ball all that Khalil Mack was not a big factor in this game and that was a big factor in the Packers winning yeah absolutely Mike and, and the thing with Mack is that I mean you see it five tackles one tackle for a loss no quarterback hits no sacks that's the way you want it to look because if you go back and look at last season, it didn't so much happen against the Packers, but there were games where Mac completely flipped it on its head yeah. based on his play by himself. Right. So to keep him under control, I think, is a big feather in the cap of the tackles. I want to talk about quickly just Brian Balaga in particular because I, when we finally got through everything this weekend, got a chance to go back and look at some of those plays. The Balaga is so consistent. Uh, with how he approaches the game. And, you know, even Keeled, he's been around this game for a long time. The way he prepares himself, the way he prepares his body, the plan that the Packers had for him to get to week one as healthy as possible. All the way through the spring and the Absolutely. summer, the OTAs and in training camp, everything was planned out in terms of his his snaps, his workload, his reps to get ready and stay healthy for week one. Yeah, and I really like that approach because last year, as you and I have talked about, it was sort of like, okay, you're trying to get him healthy coming back from the ACL, yeah. trying to get him some work at the end of camp. This year, a lot more balanced, a lot more pace. And I, I just felt like that performance against Mac and the fact that the Packers were able to kind of keep him out of it for the most part, it's a volatile defense. There's going to be other areas that are going to stress you. But Mac can be the one that really tips everything in the Bears' favor, and they didn't allow him to do that. From Berlaga's perspective, with where he's at and his point of his career, taking that approach, his health, everything, to have that kind of performance against Mac right out of the gate, 
think really is going to be something that can be a galvanizing moment for him as he looks to now get back in his comfort zone after really having to play catch up last season throughout September. Yeah, I mean, you just you turn on a few snaps of the game film from Thursday night watching Balaga against Mac, and you can just see the difference in where Balaga is in week one this year yeah. compared to last year when, I mean, he made, quite frankly, a miraculous recovery in terms of the timeline from the ACL injury we had talked about that, that he was actually ready to play week one. And to his credit, he did that. But to go against Khalil Mack in week one against the Bears, he wasn't necessarily fully ready for that. And he was absolutely ready for everything that week one brought this time. And uh, and Brian Balaga, quite frankly, is, is, is in a different place health-wise right now, September of 2019, than he was in September of 2018. Well, and I think, too, when the years go on and time passes, people are going to appreciate Brian Balaga a lot more than maybe even they do today, mm. just for that reason. I mean, I agree with you, you blink your eye like that, and he's a 10-year vet. He's a guy that's held down that position. When you use a first-round pick on a tackle, what do you want to get out of it? You want to be able to have a guy that you can plug there for 10 years and not worry about it. He's worked through some injuries. He's fought through a lot. But I think, you know, ultimately when this thing's all said and done and you look at how many games he actually played in for the Packers and what he played through, uh, I just I, I think his career is going to hold up really well. And the nice thing for the Packers' perspective right now, this is a guy who entered the league when he was 20, 21 years old. Right. You know, I think there, there's a lot of faith that there's still a lot of tread on the tire, and this is a guy that could still be – uh, you know, a big presence for them at that right tackle spot. Well, it's interesting when you look at his career because you talk about he has fought through some injuries. Longtime offensive tackles here like Mark Tauscher and Chad Clifton, they fought through their share of injuries as well. It, you know, when you look at it in the, the big picture, the grand scheme of things, a lot of those guys have had similar careers yeah. in that what they've had to fight through but yet gotten themselves to steadily play at a really, really high level to, to help this team. And when an offensive coordinator can trust his offensive tackles, that's a that's just a, a big boost every week going into that game planning meeting when he feels comfortable with his guys on the edge. Yeah. And it's a hundred percent injury rate at that position too. I know looking <laughs> at the game, I was, I watched a lot of games on on Sunday with us having that opportunity to, to kind of sit back and obviously not work that day. And uh, the one that stood out to me was it was the Cleveland game uh, after it was what Greg Robinson got ejected, the left tackle okay. for the Browns. Uh, they had to move in their, their backup tackle. I forget his name, Lamb. The third or fourth play that he's in the game, they end up getting giving up a sack in the end zone. Uh, it's a safety against Baker Mayfield. The play ends with this, the, the edge rusher and Mayfield like collapsing on, I believe his name was Lamb, his ankle. Oh. And it's just funny to me that that position, like sometimes guys get injury labels every single, it's almost like every single position, every single injury that happens at that spot on the offensive line, it's almost always a freak kind of thing just because yeah. of the randomness of it. So yeah. uh, to be able to have Balaga there and certainly what David Bakhtiari's done now in the last six seasons, there's, that's a difficult thing to be able to accomplish, to have two pillars like that. In the teams that you see that do, you look at Dallas, what they're doing right now. Sure. They're, they're the ones that usually are the ones playing meaningful football in December and January. Yeah, well, uh, you started talking about week one, and I want to get to uh, some more reflections on uh, the opening weekend of NFL football. But first, select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering, catering, or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com. Cousin Subs, we believe in better. All right, well, we will spend a good portion of the coming week talking about the Minnesota Vikings, West, but we certainly have to mention here 
what they did in week one at home against the Atlanta Falcons, an absolutely dominating performance against an opponent many feel is a playoff contender in the NFC and obviously a former uh, MVP quarterback in Matt Ryan. Minnesota looked darn good. It was funny. Uh, I didn't even realize until the end of the game that Kirk Cousins had thrown 10 passes. 10 passes. And, okay, there's two different storylines to this game. One, Minnesota's still Minnesota, and it's a team that they felt like they underachieved last year, but they still have a lot of talent. Yep. Delvin Cook, like he looks like he's going to be a problem for the NFL for years to come so long as he stays healthy. The other thing, though, that I do have to at least make mention of, there was a lot of hope and optimism that things were going to be different for Atlanta's defense this year. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be the case because this was as rudimentary of a game as I think that you could ask for in 2019. You didn't have to worry about the downfield pass from Kirk Cousins. They made it abundantly clear, we're going to run it down your throat. <laughs> and it's not even like Delvin Cook had one carry for 60 yards. His longest was 22, and he had a 5.3-yard per carry clip. Yeah, They just could not stop him. Yeah, And... You know, Matt Ryan had the two picks, the takeaways and things like that. You know when Minnesota and that Zimmer defense is clicking the way it can look. I I think if you asked me on Saturday night who I thought would win this game, I thought it would be Minnesota. Sure. I did not expect them to punch the Falcons in the mouth the way they did. Yeah, I mean, that it was, it was a dominating performance by Minnesota in all three phases. Their defense, as you said, they got the sacks and the takeaways. I do think couple of opportunities where the Falcons had a chance to get back in that Absolutely. game. Matt, Matt Ryan made some horrendous decisions from uh, um, from just a, for a veteran quarterback, an accomplished quarterback, to make a couple of decisions he made there that, that really took his team out of the game. But the Vikings also had a block punt on special right. teams. Obviously, you mentioned the running game with Dalvin Cook and, and Kirk Cousins, you know, barely broke a sweat with, uh, with only having to throw – 10 passes so he threw three passes in the second half yeah well i mean they were up 21 yeah, nothing up or whatever much. it was why would you why would you bother throwing the ball and your running backs getting yeah. five yards of carry so um but uh um but also if we look at week one in the nfc north a really interesting game out in arizona with the detroit lions yeah it was um tj hawkinson came on the scene i believe he set an nfl rookie record for a tight end uh, debut with 130 some receiving yards or whatever. So, T.J. Hawkinson, you know, top 10 draft pick. He will definitely be a guy to watch. He but looks good in pads too, man. Yeah, like when you see I him tell on you. the field, like he, that's an NFL tight end. Yeah, it's impressive. Yeah, there's there. You can see why he was drafted as high as he was. But the Detroit Lions, 24 to six lead in the fourth quarter. They let it get away, and they end up in an overtime tie at 27-27, with Kyler Murray, the rookie quarterback for the Cardinals, bringing his club all the way back. Um, it, you know, if there is such a thing as a gut punch when you tie in a yeah. game, this is it because the the Detroit Lions had this game. I I, I don't know. I, I still don't know how you really let it get away. You want to know why it's a big gut punch? Cliff Kingsbury was walking to the post-game like handshake with Matt Patricia with a smile on his face <laughs> after a tie. I after mean, just a tie. The sense of relief and the fact that Arizona even had a chance to win that game. Uh, they, they had the ball. They, they were driving. They were able to get two first downs, and then it stopped. Yeah. They end up punting it with a, with a minute left in overtime. 
You know, and then they did you see the, the last play of the game? Yeah, they almost got picked. I mean, the, the pick. Sta- Stafford almost throws the pick on the sideline. If, if uh, I think it was Brock, maybe yeah. it was the defensive back. If he hangs on to that and steps out of bounds with four or five seconds left, they can send out the kicker one play and win the game. And Detroit would have lost. I mean, it's just everything that happened from really the beginning of the fourth quarter to the end of that game was just was just bizarre in in a everything. lot of ways. Other, you know, but it's it's funny, man. The years change. The offenses change. Things get different, but at the end of the day, I mean, Detroit struggled to run the ball again. And Matthew Stafford, for his money, for the most part, other than that throw late, made some nice throws throughout the game, had a solid performance. But I can't think of too many ins- instances where one quarterback beats the other quarterback by a 35 passer rating, and yet the other quarterback was the one that had the chance to win the game at the end. I mean, yeah. it's just there was just a little bit of a comedy of errors, not being able to finish, not getting the drives when you needed them. Yeah. Well, I think this is this is an absolute reflection of what the Detroit Lions have been looking for for years, which is to find a running game. Because if you have a 24 to six lead yeah. in the fourth quarter on the road, if you can run the football with any effectiveness at all, you're going to close out that game. They haven't had a running no. game. They they still can't seem to find it. Carry on Johnson was looking like he would be the guy last year. He really didn't do much for them yesterday when uh, they needed to be able to run the football. Stafford ended up with nice numbers, good stats and everything. And as you said, if you have a 30-point, 35-point differential in the passer rating, that's a game you're supposed to win. Absolutely. And, and to, you know, credit, you got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Kyler Murray had about as terrible, disastrous of a first half as you could for a rookie quarterback with those kind of expectations. Shook it off. What did he do? He found his two biggest weapons, David Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald, yeah. Old, reliable, and and Johnson, just when he's right, how dynamic he can be with mixing in what he does as a pass catcher. The... I'm not, you know, I'm not saying these are two playoff teams or anything like that, but if I'm Kyler Murray, certainly you wanted to finish that last drive. You wanted to win that game for the Cardinals, but the right. way he battled back, I think, speaks volumes about a young quarterback and, and what he needs to do because it wasn't that he just was – plays weren't going his way. He was playing poorly. I mean, he's getting balls deflected at the line of scrimmage. It's everything that you think of like as far as what you fear with a shorter quarterback. And later on, he just started to find a way. He got comfortable. He made plays with his feet and – they were able to uh, edge out a tie. Yeah. Well, also in week one, you had uh, mentioned it briefly earlier, the Cleveland Browns, I think. If there was one result in week one that kind of floored me, it was seeing that the Cleveland Browns at home against the Tennessee Titans lost by 30 points. I didn't see the game, but I went back and I watched the highlights. And you mentioned the safety that was early on. This game, this was a 15-13 to 13 game, yeah. like late third quarter. And then suddenly... Tennessee hits a screen pass that goes the distance 75 yards for a touchdown. And then Baker Mayfield gets intercepted on three consecutive possessions in the fourth quarter. I mean, you talk, you talk about a snowball going downhill that just wasn't going to stop. I mean, this was uh, this just turned ugly for Cleveland. So I actually did. I watched this entire game, uh, mostly because I just was really curious to see how the Browns were going to look. Tony Romo kind of pulled a Spofford in it where you remember where you were like, oh, you had Jake Kumaro, he hasn't dropped anything, and then he like dropped something the very next like right. practice. Yeah, yeah. Romo was like crediting Mayfield, like, hey, you're behind right now, but he's doing a great job of managing this game. He's not making he's you know, he's being careful with the football. <laughs> and then I, I swear the words were barely even out of his mouth, and yeah. it was the first pick, the second pick, and the third pick. I will say this, and and you know we have to see again where all these chips fall. It's just week hey, one. Hey, it's week one. Things. It's it's one game for everybody. One loss, one win. No matter how you slice it. 
Doug Vrabel has the Tennessee Titans looking good. That, oh, yeah. That defense is legit. Uh, and offensively, Marcus Mariota still has his weak spots. But I, I don't even know who the offensive coordinator is this year, but they do such a good job of playing to his strengths with that offense and having Delaney Walker back. You can see what kind of difference that makes. I think Derrick Henry looked really solid. That screen play, the, the, the blocking they had downfield to spring him on that long connection. Those are the kind of things you need to do to win games like this. They went into Cleveland, a lot of buzz there, and they brought him back down to earth. I think you got to tip your cap to the Titans. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, the the slogan I think now in Cleveland is hold the hype because this was this was a hype team, and I admit I I I still think Cleveland could be a playoff contender because Absolutely. it doesn't I you know regardless of what the Ravens did against the Miami Dolphins that. AFC North is completely up for grabs. Right. I mean, any anybody could uh, anybody could take that one. But any other impressions from Week One? Obviously, the New England Patriots defended their Super Bowl, start the de- started the defense of their Super Bowl title with an absolutely dominating victory in prime time over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, it's a big wake up call there uh, in terms of the Patriots are just going to keep doing what the Patriots do. Tom Brady is so effective at running that offense. Even depending on what happens with Antonio Brown here, I think that looks like a pretty complete offense to begin with. Even yeah. Without having Rob Gronk. Pittsburgh has some questions to answer there. I think, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster without having Antonio Brown there, it's going to be a different game for him, and he's going to have to adapt to that. Stephon Gilmore did a good job against him. And also, just to throw this out there, it is the Miami Dolphins. That house is burning down right now. But (laughs) the Baltimore Ravens, Mike, you and I saw a little bit of that starting offense. Lamar Jackson is not just sta- he's not standing there to run and hand off the football. He will throw. Yep. And he has a phenomenal target Hollywood Brown right now. The Ravens are going to be fun to watch this season. Yeah, that's that's a that's a dynamic quarterback that I I'm not even sure that uh, we see we really even started to scratch the surface of maybe what that offense is going to look like as this season evolves because Lamar Jackson's not a rookie anymore and he doesn't look like a rookie. And what do you do, Mike? You go back to 1930 or 1942 when Cecil Isabel was throwing to Don Hudson. You run, (laughs) you run, you run, you keep getting that ground production, and then you Hit them with a big play downfield. Yeah. The Ravens are doing it as good as anyone right now. Well, with the Cecil Isbell, Don Hudson reference, we will call, <laughs> we'll call it, it a wrap there. <laughs> on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. Subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, if you please. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.